0: You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas is continuing his series on Old Testament characters, now examining the story of Samuel. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Old Testament premium podcast 27 is on Samuel. Samuel. I bring you warm greetings from Atlanta, having just uh, recently returned from the Middle East, from the United Arab Emirates, and I have warm greetings from your friends, your brothers and sisters in Dubai. We're going to be looking at Samuel. We've already been introduced to him in the podcast on Hannah, who was his mother, and Eli, who was his mentor. Samuel is the last of the judges. In fact, he's the one who will create the transition to the monarchy or the United Kingdom. The Philistines are growing more and more powerful. It's the 11th century BC. There's a dire need for leadership, for spiritual leadership, and Israel needs to emerge from the anarchic and chaotic period of the judges. Samuel spends his earliest years at home before his mother Hannah, delivers him to the temple, where he's under the care of Eli. We see his spiritual growth in 1 Samuel 2.26, whose growth Jesus' own development mirrors in Luke 2.52. I think in the case of Samuel, it's especially commendable because he didn't grow up with a father. Well, he had Eli as a father figure, flawed as he was, and Samuel was separated from his family at an early age. We see in 1 Samuel 3.7, 3.21, and 4.1, of course all this is in the notes, that he comes to know God through God's Word, same as we come to know the Lord, through his Word, and then through his Word, others come to know God. When I first started reading the Word, and it was really more of an experiment than a serious or mature thought, I was nine years old. It didn't last very long. It lasted up till Genesis 9, and then I got lost in a tangle of names and nations in Genesis 10. I remember a couple years later, I was enrolled in confirmation classes, and I had a Bible now. My own, I mean. I liked the smell of the leather, but I really wasn't interested in reading the Bible. I was interested in some of the concepts, life and death, and is there a God? Some years later, I met actual Bible believers when I was 16. My motivation was growing, but I wasn't still really that motivated. At 17, I would read the Bible when I picked up my father from the train station. If his commuting train was early, I didn't read much at all that day. If it was delayed, I might have even 20 or 30 minutes of study. But I didn't learn so much because at the end of that that year... I, I tried to go through the Bible and, just by skimming, collate all the juicy verses, the verses I thought were really good. These were verses on goodness and light and, and peace and freedom, and uh, I, I, there, there, there was no substance, no rhyme or reason, no strategy. However, when I was 18, when I went off to college, I was reading every day, and I think every week since, I've put in at least five to ten hours of Bible study. Really, as a minimum. And the more I came to know God through His Word, the more eager I became to share Him with others, as I still am. And so, in a way, I relate to Samuel. Not the growing up without a father part, but the way he came to know God through His Word, and then through his own knowledge and walk with God, others could learn. Samuel replaces Eli, in effect. First Samuel 4 when Eli falls over backwards, literally keels over at the news of the capture of the ark. Um, We don't know exactly um, what happened, but Eli was no longer the chief priest. And uh, Samuel emerges. He comes into the limelight. Samuel does many things. He leads Israel in battle, at least on one occasion. An occasion where God fights and where the Philistines end up returning the ark. This is in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. And Samuel commemorates the victory at Ebenezer, or Rock of Help. We read, And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord, and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. 1 Samuel 7, 3 and 4, NIV. Well, this is similar to the challenge that Joshua gave the people of God at the end of the desert generation, if you compare it to Joshua 24. In addition to leading Israel in battle, we see that Samuel led. He decided cases. He judged. He was on a circuit. And this is in 1 Samuel 15, uh, 1 Samuel seven fifteen. To 17, We read, Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also judged Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. And so he focuses in those four cities. Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and also Rama. Interestingly, he's busy in his local situation, not just in the places he visits outside. Sadly, his sons were corrupt, and we read in 1 Samuel 8 that the people of Israel knew this and were not very eager for his sons to succeed him. So Samuel's already an old man in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He had appointed them in his old age. He had appointed his sons or deputize them, perhaps this shows a lapse of judgment, or maybe it's just a blind spot similar to that which Eli had. Israel chooses to appoint a king over Samuel's protests, chapter 8, an infamous chapter in biblical history. In chapter 9, Samuel appoints Saul, so we have here the last judge appointing and anointing the first king. In 1 Samuel 11, he begins to retire from public life, though he does appear again taking a hard line against sin and disobedience in chapters 12, 13, and 15, challenging the people again, chapter 12, as he reviews the record. As I mentioned, he he connects with Saul and, and anoints him, actually anoints him in chapter 10, and yet he grieves over Saul, even though Saul so quickly defects, as we'll see, his apostasy from the Lord in the next podcast. And Samuel anoints David. But only after a false start, as he looks at the outer person, external appearances. I would like to focus on this, for this passage in First Samuel 16, 1-7. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Just an aside, at this point Saul had already turned away from the Lord, and Samuel lived in fear of him. Well, what does the Lord say? Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what uh, to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled. Look at this fear. Uh, The culture of fear under King Saul. Trembled when they met him. And they asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely... The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab is Jesse's eldest son. Jesse the father of David, It is Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's a passage that every generation of Christian leaders is tempted to ignore. As in leadership criteria, we look for people who are smooth or uh, who seem persuasive or uh, are just pleasant. But it's the character, it's the inner quality that God is looking at. Just as with Sarah, he looked at the inner beauty, First Peter 3, not just the physical appearance do not consider his appearance or his height. How many leaders have been appointed because of their appearance? Because it looked like they would be able to rally others because they were tall. Well, Saul was tall. (laughs) Of course, the Philistines had their champion, Goliath. He was tall. I would just simply say that tall people do not do very well in the Bible. Whereas short people, like Zacchaeus, do. This is not a theological point. It's only a humorous observation. But Samuel, even after years of, of experience as a judge of Israel, knowing the word of God, even he succumbs to sentimentality here in 1 Samuel 16. And if he can do it, what makes you or me think we will be able to have total objectivity? I don't think so. Well, as mentioned, Saul uh, had departed from the Lord and, and really he didn't like anyone who told him the truth. And in chapter 19, David flees to Samuel. 1918, David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Nioth. There's really no more comment there. I, just, I wonder how Samuel felt. At this point, he has anointed David to succeed Saul, but Saul is still king. And David, as we know, refuses to kill Saul or to usurp his position until the time is provided by the Lord. uh, And he will not take Saul out. Well, uh, uh, Samuel also established a company of prophets. Now, this may sound a little bit odd to us because we think of prophecy as being something totally spontaneous and something the, the prophets really couldn't even control. Even in New Testament prophecy, we know that's false. In 1 Corinthians 14, the spirits of the prophets were subject uh, to the control of the prophets. But Samuel had started a school or a guild. In other words, in a way, he was perpetuating himself. And we'll see this later in the history of Israel, that there won't just be the the isolated prophet like Elijah or Elisha, but these men will have disciples, uh, sometimes tens, fifties, or even hundreds. So, Samuel's not alone. He's not the sole prophet. One other thing he did is he celebrated the Passover in a way that hadn't been done for a long time. That detail actually is supplied in 2 Chronicles 35, 18. So, Samuel respected God's laws, and he ensured that the people made time to honor him with the worship that he's due. That could also explain some of the trembling in Bethlehem, particularly if the elders hadn't been doing right. So, let me just... Review what Samuel actually did. He led Israel in battle, although really it was the Lord who fought. He judged Israel on a circuit. He went around to to these various cities, and in this way, he was more effective, apparently, than just staying in one place. Although he retired from public life, he appears a number of times after to challenge King Saul, to challenge the people, and even to anoint uh, David. Yet, we see, despite the wisdom of years of experience, he still has a sentimental side, which is not a virtue. Uh, we saw also that David flees to him, and so he gives some comfort to David. He establishes a company of the prophets at Ramah, that is his home. And we also see from Second Chronicles, the next to the last chapter of that book, that he uh, reinstituted, or let's say, called the people back to really celebrate the Passover, which had lapsed into disuse and uh, kind of stagnation. Well, let's talk about his death. He, he dies in chapter 25, and you'd think, well, that's the last we'll hear of him, but then we have this extremely odd circumstance where Saul uh, cannot get an answer from God, uh, and, and at this point he's near the end of his life, he's, he's soon to die, in fact, he's going to die the next day. and. He wants to talk to Samuel, who has said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And uh, Saul contacts Samuel through a medium. That is, he goes to a witch, a soothsayer, a a sorceress. Um, He he goes to a necromancer, technically necromancy is consulting the dead. Now this is against, uh, this violates the laws of, of the Torah and the Deuteronomy, as well as in the New Testament, Galatians 5.20. It's a great sin to try to contact the dead. But it looks like Saul succeeds, and through the witch of Endor, First Samuel 28, he brings Samuel up. Well, he doesn't really bring him up, but he disturbs him. Samuel is resting quite happy in the underworld, in Hades, or Sheol, as it's called in the, New, in the Old Testament. He disturbs him in his rest, but even then, the prophet speaks out. He speaks the truth to power. He speaks out to Saul, and says, basically reminds him, he's rejected the Lord, and, and you're going to be in the underworld tomorrow. Uh, you and your sons. So Samuel is a powerful figure, though we may see he had weaknesses as as all men and women of God did and do. And there's one other passage I'll read about Samuel, which, interestingly, comes from Jeremiah 15. And this is at a point where Israel has lapsed into extreme stubbornness. Um, This is uh, about 500 years or more after the time of Samuel. In Jeremiah 15 we read, The Lord said to me, Jeremiah, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. Oh, now, of course, Jeremiah has a number of, of scathing passages about the apostasy of Israel and Israel's leaders. Uh, for example, Jeremiah five thirty thirty one, Jeremiah six thirteen fourteen fifteen, Jeremiah seven. That whole chapter, Jeremiah eleven fourteen, 14, Jeremiah 14, 11. By the way, I'm not putting those into your notes, sorry. But, so, what Israel really needs is a change of heart. It, it, she needs an intercessor. And at this point, it's around 600 BC, much later. He says, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, God God says, my heart wouldn't be with this people. So I think this suggests that Samuel was, was known for prayer. He was known for intercession. Uh, he was a real man of God, and this is very much to his credit, uh, especially considering that he rarely saw his mother after the early years, and, and he had this uh, a kind of a uh, surrogate father, Eli, as a mentor, whose, whose own legacy was extremely mixed. Well, I relate in some ways to Samuel. Well, I certainly relate to um, uh, his his sentimentality and uh, Errors and judgment, I feel like I've made so many in my life, which is why I need advisors. I came to faith relatively early in life. As I mentioned, I was in my late teens, but the more I got to know God through the Scripture, the more I, I just had to tell others. And eventually, I, I even became a preacher. I have not uh, worked uh, in uh, so-called full-time uh, church work, that is, as a staff member now for a year, number of years, uh, though I, I did serve in that capacity for twenty years. And I've been independent for, this is my seventh year, I still speak about three hundred times a year, so it's uh, publicly that is it's a lot of preaching. And I, I kind of go around city to city, so I, I guess I relate to Samuel on that level too. And I don't expect to ever stop learning. I, I think knowing the Lord through His Word, as 1 Samuel 3 shows us, is, um, it, it's the way you do it. Uh, What guarantee is it that we really know God if we're just trying to know Him through uh, meditation and poetry and nature walks? I mean, to know God, we've got to look not just at uh, the general revelation, looking at the stars or the sea, but we've got to look at His special revelation to us in His Word. You know, like Samuel, I I guess I've had some leaders over me, uh, over me that is, in, in leadership who who weren't so spiritual and left the Lord. And like Samuel, as I said, I, I don't always see this so clearly. I can be sentimental. I've learned to become more prophetic. Uh, not that I've usually been one not to speak up, but speaking with more confidence and perspective is something that it just comes in t- with time. Truly believing that God's Word stands in judgment over the words, the ways, customs, practices, and sins of all of us... Truly believing that I think gives me a lot of confidence. I know the ultimate authority is the Lord through His Word, it's not people. As far as the travel aspect, I I get the feeling Samuel spent a lot of time away from his home in Ramah, but it's hard to to measure it. I guess I'm usually in about 20 different countries every year, but I do spend the vast majority of my time at home. I think that's important to try to have an impact where we are. Samuel knew the Lord through his word. He cut a channel between himself and the people so that others could know God. This is my passion too. I know I'm sharing a lot of personal or autobiographical things, but I really, uh, I look at Samuel and I think, yes, um, I, I think I relate to him. He has an influence for good, even though he himself is far from flawless. But what's the most important thing about this lesson? As always, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, it's what we learn about God. And there are three things that emerge as we conclude. One, we do not necessarily have to grow up in two-parent nuclear families in order to do well in life. God can still grant us a normal and productive life and and help us to have a great impact, uh, regardless of our background. So, it, it doesn't need to hold us back. If if we've been brought up with some kind of family dysfunction, obviously we've all been brought up in some dysfunction. But even in in a situation where there's rupture or separation, or we're not living with our, our parents or our father. Two, there are times when the Lord expects us to accept a decision we know is not best. Now, I would refer you back to 1 Samuel 8. We didn't read this, but it's a very sad chapter, as I said, where the people want a king to be like all the other pagan nations. And Israel's fairly pagan at this point, too. That's why I put it that way. And Samuel protests, and God says, J- just do what they say. Give them a king. I mean, the Lord knew this was coming. The provision was already made in Deuteronomy 17. Well, the point is that we don't always get our way. Even leaders, even people who should, whose words are respected, don't, don't always get their way, even when they're right. So there are times when the Lord expects us to just go with the flow and accept decision, even though we know... Mm, it's not really the best. And three, even spiritual men and women can lapse into sentimentality towards others. They can slip into failing to think realistically about where others are spiritually, just as is true of their own situation. God challenges such sentimentality. He has strong words with Samuel back in 1. we need to stay soft and kind and hopeful and and believe people can change. Yet on the other hand, be realistic and take our stand on the word of God. We hope you enjoyed Douglas' teaching on Samuel. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.